Happy Easter, everybody. Right, he is alive. Yeah, Jesus is alive. You know, if, if, it's, if it's your first time here with us today, we are so glad that you're here. Uh, we are a church uh, that just loves to sing and praise the Lord. We believe that God is at work. He is alive and active. You know, I've been uh, praying for weeks that today we would see a visible picture of the power of God today. Um, and at the end of our service, we're going to be baptizing um, a bunch of people, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, <laughs> praise the Lord. And so um, it's actually not too late for you to be baptized. Uh, we all have counselors outside at the end of our service uh, to talk with you. Uh, we actually have a change of clothes for you as well if by the end of the t- today you would like to get baptized. Um, so today I've got something uh, crazy, something true, something logical, and something to view, and then just maybe something to do. Uh, and it sounds a bit like Dr. Seuss. So that's just kind of where we are today. But here's my something crazy, Okay. I really believe that just maybe some of you will walk out today a changed person. I just really believe it. And maybe you're like, okay, uh, what in the world have I gotten into? Where am I? These people are crazy. And no, we're not crazy, I promise, um, or at least I don't think so. But here's the deal. We just believe something to be true. We believe that Jesus is alive. We believe and celebrate today that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the, from the dead and is still with us today. And if that is true, it changes everything. If Jesus rose from the dead and was resurrected, then our lives, they cannot be the same. Like the resurrection, it changes everything, which is our main idea for today. The resurrection changes everything. You know, I tell people all the time, If you want to attack Christianity and prove its insignificance, the resurrection is the place to start. Because if the resurrection is not true, then all of us Christians, we truly are just a bunch of crazy people that have been duped into the biggest lie ever told in the history of the world. And so we have to agree that it's either true or it's not. Either it's some sort of religious fairy tale or it actually is really true. But as we'll see today, I don't believe we're crazy for believing that the resurrection is true because we actually have a very logical faith. We don't believe without our minds. No, we use rational and logical thinking to believe what we believe. And we'll see some of that today. And if all of this is true, it truly does change everything. The reality of the resurrection, it changes our lives. And at the end of our service, like I said, we'll see a visible picture of God beginning to change a life through the picture of baptism. So that's our something to view. It's a beautiful picture that allows us to visibly see that God is working in the lives of people, showing us that God is truly alive and active. And we're going to scream and we're going to shout and we're going to celebrate because God is working in the lives of people today. It's a visible picture that the resurrection is true, that Jesus is alive and active and with us. So we've been going through the book of John um, as a church for the past eight months now. Um, That's just kind of what we do here at New City. We mainly walk through books of the Bible and just see what it says. Uh, We teach it, we talk about it, and then we apply it to our lives. And so today we're in John 20, seeing Jesus' resurrection. And so we're going to simply read and tell parts of the story. We're going to talk about uh, what it means for us today. And as I've already said, our main idea today is simple. The resurrection, it changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. And I think we can agree that there are several things in life that by nature can be life-changing. Things like getting married and having kids or moving to a new city or getting a new job. These are all things that will change and alter your life. You know, when I got married, I had my best friend with me at all times. Like, I thought this is great. I love this. Um, We get to always be together. It's great. You know what? My wife, Kelly, uh, she learned real quick that she may not sleep for the rest of her life. 
Like she kept telling me for years that I snore. And I kept telling her, babe, I'm sorry. I, I just don't hear it. <laughs> like, yeah, it may be some like light breathing, but I think you just might be a light sleeper. Like if I move, you wake up. Like my snoring, it can't be that bad. I want to believe you, but I need proof. And so what did she do? She woke up one night when it was kind of bad, I guess. And she recorded it with her phone for proof. <laughs> and I still didn't believe her because I just thought there's no way that I could make a noise that loud. Like that had to be a bear or some sort of like demon possessed pig or some sort of like gargling airplane engine. Okay. Like that could not have been little old innocent me. Okay. And then you know what happened? Other people caught wind of this and they started to record me also. And they were telling me the same thing and they treated me like a demon possessed pig. Okay. And it's like, well, gee whiz, what's the guy got to do to get some sleep without being mocked? And you can pray for us. Uh, yes, we do have a happy marriage, but mama just wants some sleep, okay? But you get the idea, okay? Marriage and kids and new jobs, they change all sorts of things. And for my wife, I didn't believe that I was changing her ability to sleep. I needed proof. And so what did she do? She gave evidence. Now, that's a silly example. Yes, but what I want us to see today is that if the resurrection is really true, then in light of this reality, our lives can't be the same. It changes everything. And I want us to see some proof today. And so this is, we're going to outline our time, okay? We're going to see, number one, the story of the resurrection. We're going to read and tell the story. Uh, number two, the logic of the resurrection. We're going to look at some proof. And then number three, the implications of the resurrection. Like, what does this mean for us today? So we've got the story, the logic, and the implications, all of the resurrection. So before we jump into John 20, and see the story of the resurrection, I do want to give a little bit of backstory leading up to our text, because up to this point in the book of John, I want to remind you that Jesus has spent about three years performing all sorts of miracles and teaching and do it while he's doing all of it. And then as the story continues, Jesus was betrayed and turned over to Roman soldiers to then be crucified. And throughout this entire encounter of Jesus's crucifixion, the author of John makes it very clear that Jesus willingly allowed all of it to happen. Like showing that all of this was Jesus's plan. Because just think about this. If Jesus was who he claimed to be as the son of God, as God himself, then Jesus knows all and sees all and he has the power of God at his fingertips. And so with all, with all of that, he still willingly went to the cross to die a slow, torturous death. Because as we've seen, been seeing all along, Jesus was born with the purpose of dying. Like Jesus was born to die. And why? Because had you and me on each of on, on his heart in mind. Jesus came down to earth, not just to show his face. No, Jesus came down to earth on a rescue mission. He came to rescue us. And maybe you think, well, why do I need to be rescued? Well, it's because the Bible tells us that just one of our sins keeps us separated from God forever. Like just one lie, just one thought, just one act of disobedience leaves us on a road that ends with hell. It's kind of like, yikes, this just took a bit of a turn. Like, that's no good. I thought this was Easter. It was supposed to be joyful and cheery. Why is he talking about sin and hell? Well, because that's the bad news. Like every single person on this planet has sin. And I think we can all agree that nobody is perfect. And our sin, it keeps us separated from God. And each of us need our sin gone. It needs to be dealt with. We need to be clean and pure from our sin to be with God now and forever. Like we need to be rescued. Which again is why Jesus came. Jesus came to rescue us from our sin. 
Jesus came to take away your sin and my sin and to make us clean and pure before God, which is why he died on the cross. Like last week we saw in John 19, Jesus nailed to a cross, confirmed to be dead twice by Roman soldiers, prepared for burial by trusted leaders and then buried in a tomb. Like he was confirmed dead by multiple different people. Both his people and his opponents confirmed him dead. Like he was nailed to a cross and died. And then he had a spear driven through his side with blood gushing out of him. Like Jesus was really, really, really dead. And you know what? Today when people talk about Jesus, they don't really debate whether uh, he walked this earth or whether he was a nice man or whether Jesus uh, truly died. It's like a widely agreed upon historical fact. Like no good historian uh, will deny the life and death of Jesus. And then as I said, Jesus was placed in a tomb putting a large and heavy boulder in front of the tomb to secure it. And as Matthew's gospel tells us, the Roman governor ordered trained military men, like those big strong guys, like with the swords and the spears, they were trained to kill people and they were like the elite military soldiers. And the governor ordered those guys to secure the tomb. Like this was the soldier's biggest task they had ever been given. Like do not let anybody take this man's body. And Jesus was placed in a tomb and then John 19 ends. Which leads us to number one, the story of the resurrection. So that's the backstory leading up to today. But as we know and celebrate today, Jesus didn't stay dead. No, he rose from the grave. Jesus defeated death. And we'll get into more of this in, in a little bit. But before we get to the joy of Sunday, I want us to just sit in the grief of Saturday for just a minute. Because I want us to think about that Saturday after Jesus died with his followers and his family and his mother because they just lost a man that they deeply loved. They, they lost a man that they believed to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, their rescuer, and they just watched him die. Like they were in, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in pain. They were experiencing the pain of losing someone they love. They were in pain because things didn't go how they thought it would. They experienced disappointment and loss and grief and maybe even some despair or anger. And I'd assume a lot of confusion. And listen, I don't, I don't know how you came in today, but just maybe you can relate. Maybe a job isn't going how you thought. Maybe a relationship is broken or strained. Maybe from a boss or a friend or a marriage or a relative. And whatever it is, just maybe you can relate to how they felt that Saturday after Jesus died. Because Jesus all along said he was the son of God and his followers just watched him die. Like he was literally beaten, nailed to a cross, and they watched him gasp for air and then buried in a tomb. That's not exactly how they thought the story of the Messiah and rescuer and redeemer would end. Which leads us to say yet again, this is more bad news. And yes, we have an incredible hope to celebrate today on Easter, but I don't want us to forget that it comes with the backdrop of real life pain and brokenness. We can say it this way, the hope of the resurrection comes against the backdrop of sin and despair. The road to the cross is a road full of rebellion and betrayal and rejection and questioning and blood and torture and grief and confusion and anger and disappointment. Yes, the road to the cross, it ends with an empty tomb, but it doesn't miss the reality of this world. Like it doesn't miss our real life circumstances today. And please hear me. Again, I don't know how you came in today, but I want you to know that the hope of Jesus is not some light and fluffy far off thing that has nothing to do with your life. No, the hope of the resurrection, it is deeply personal. 
God knows exactly what is going on in each of our lives. God knows your story and your thoughts and your fears and your worries and your insecurities and your hurts and your joys. Like he sees the whole spectrum. He sees it all. He knows it all. And you know what Jesus did? He went to the cross to die for you and for me. And let me tell you something. Yes, the reason Jesus went to the cross, it was to pay for the penalty of our sin. But please hear me today. It's far more than that. Jesus didn't just die to pay for your sins and then leave you alone. No, Jesus died so that he could be with you. He died so that he could be, so he could be deeply satisfied by God and have a source of peace and joy that never runs dry. Jesus died because he wants to be with each of us today. And our sin was in the way of that. And so he went to the cross to die to get rid of our sin. So Jesus was crucified and buried in a tomb on Friday. His people experienced real confusion and real life emotion and turmoil on Saturday. But may we not forget that Sunday came. Look at it says, starting in verse 1 of John 20. Just see, see where the story picks up for today. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So I want to stop and point this out for a second. Point a few things out. So it was Sunday morning, still dark. And it says the stone had been taken away from Jesus' tomb. And let's remember it was guarded by those Romans, those trained Roman soldiers. You know, John's account, it doesn't tell a lot about Mary Magdalene first coming to the tomb in this first verse. But the other gospel accounts, they tell us uh, that other women were with her. And they share more details around this first verse. It's in John, 1, uh, John 20, verse 1. But what I want to point out to, for, for us today is that in Luke's gospel, we saw that Mary Magdalene at one point was demon-possessed. Like, that's who this woman is. And Jesus came to her and then cast out seven demons out of her. And so let's just say that uh, she was likely an outcast, and she was probably not very well respected and maybe considered a little crazy, like with a crazy and dark past. But as we know now, after Jesus cast the demons out of her, she followed Jesus. And then she was then with Jesus until his death and was now close with Jesus. Which reminds us of a few things. And the first is which is that nobody is too far gone. Mary Magdalene had seven demons inside of her. Like she had some major issues and yet Jesus changed her life. And we see her here as a new person, as one of the first witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Listen, I don't care how far gone you think you may be or how far gone others may think you may be. I don't care what's going on in your life. I know this. Jesus sees you just as you are and he loves you deeply. And he wants to have a relationship with you and he wants to walk this life with you. Because Jesus is in the business of redemption. Again, nobody, absolutely nobody is too far gone for Jesus to redeem. Nobody. He did it with Mary Magdalene and he wants to do it with you too. And just one other separate thing I want to point out while we're here. And we'll get into more of these types of things in just a minute. But the author is pointing out several details along the way simply to just show us that this story is true. And the fact that he said a woman was the first witness show, showing up, he didn't, he didn't just make this up. Like, and this was not to be chauvinistic, but we need to understand what the, that the culture at the time, it did not allow women to be witnesses in the court of law. Like they were not considered legitimate. And so the fact that John writes this, having a woman as the first witness is another reason to show like this whole thing was not fabricated. 
Because if the author wanted to make a compelling case, he would have put a religious leader and some other respected man as his first witness and not Mary Magdalene with her rocky past. But let's keep reading. Look what it says in verse 2. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Okay, so Mary Magdalene saw the empty tomb, expecting to see Jesus' dead body, but he wasn't there. And she takes off, uh, likely a bit panicked, and she finds two of Jesus' followers, Peter and John, and says they've taken Jesus, like they've taken his body. He's not there. He's gone. And look what he says. I love this part. This is, I, I think this is kind of funny. Look what the author John says. So Peter went out with the other disciples, which is John, the guy writing this letter, or this, yeah, this, this gospel, and they were going towards the tomb, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Okay, so being a pretty competitive person myself, loving a good competition, I love, uh, I think this is great. Like, I just imagine, um, like, like, taking a little jab at Peter here. Like, John just happened to, to slide that in there. Like, I just imagine John and Peter having a bit of a heckling relationship, and John decides to have some fun and let all of history know that John is faster than Peter. And that John beat him uh, in the foot race to the tomb. And then look what it says next, starting in verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went to the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and, they fa- and the face cloth, which had been laid on Jesus' head, not laying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by himself, by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as Yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So let's just think about this for a second. So John outruns Peter to the tomb. And then John peeks into the tomb, but doesn't go in. Because uh, let's be honest here. Like who wants to go into a dead man's tomb? Like that's just kind of uh, weird and freaky. And then sluggish Peter, he kind of gets, he gets there. He, he, he doesn't think about it. He just walks right in. And sees Jesus' clothes kind of lying there in the face cloth, nicely folded up, um, which I found to be very nice and polite of Jesus. Like Jesus took off his burial garments, folds them up, and then places them nicely in the corner, uh, gets up, and then just simply walks out of the grave. Like this wasn't a robbery or a heist where people were trying to do this quickly. There wasn't a fight or a panic here with the Roman soldiers guarding it. No, like Jesus casually and in total control just simply walks out of the grave. But let's keep reading. Look at verse 11 to finish the story. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept. She stood to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to his disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So Mary was outside of the tomb weeping. 
She goes inside the tomb. She sees two angels. They talk to her. Uh, They ask why she's crying. And then Jesus walks up to her. And Mary thinks it's like the gardener, I guess because it was dark and she was kind of out of it. I'm guessing because she was crying so hard. And she asked where Jesus' body went. And Jesus simply spoke her name. And in that moment, when Jesus spoke her name, simply saying, Mary, she knew it was Jesus. And of course, she was thrilled. She's excited, trying to give Jesus a hug. And Jesus, I just kind of imagine in this moment, smiling, um, says, like, don't cling to me yet. Go tell my brothers. Like, go tell them he's going to be back with God, his father, who is also now their God and their father, too. So Mary runs and says, I have seen the Lord, announcing Jesus is alive. Yes. You see, again, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is not dead, but alive. And as the story continues, Jesus stayed on earth for about 40 days and appeared to over 500 people, showing himself to truly be alive to each of them. So New City Church, this is just the story of the resurrection. Jesus is not dead. No, he is alive. And as we hear this story, we have to then ask ourselves, is this true? It's either true or it's not. Like either Jesus is the son of God that defeated sin and death and is alive and active today, or it's just some crazy fairy tale and we've all been duped. And so we must ask ourselves, what is it? And so I want us to use our brains for several minutes and address maybe the skeptic in the room and give a little evidence for the truthfulness of the resurrection, looking at number two, the logic of the resurrection. And just maybe you're having that moment that I had when uh, when I was with my wife, when she was trying to convince me that I sometimes sound like a demon-possessed pig when I sleep. Uh, and I was like, no, it couldn't be a little old me. I needed her to show me proof. And then she presented the evidence. Well, that's what I want to do today for a few minutes. I just want to help us see that we're not crazy, that we have a very true and rational and logical faith. Because let's be honest with ourselves here for a second and follow the logic that most people follow for the validity of the resurrection. Like, I just want to address the elephant in the room. Like most people ask when they're asked, how do we know that the resurrection is true? The response is often because the Bible says it's true, which yes, absolutely is correct. The Bible is true, 100% true. And we can prove the validity of the Bible on the Bible alone based off of internal evidence. But I also know that for the skeptic, that may not be good enough. Maybe because it seems like a circular argument. And so oftentimes it's helpful to bring in external evidence which is what we're gonna do for a few minutes surrounding the resurrection. And as a side note, just one of the best validations for the authority of scriptures that the scriptures are true is Jesus himself. It's his life and his resurrection. Like if Jesus rose from the dead, then he must be God. And the scriptures he claimed were true. If Jesus said they were true and he was God, they must be true. And so keep following me here. So the question we need to then ask that makes everything uh, in Christianity either true or false is, did Jesus truly rise from the dead? Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, he's just another dead man and he cannot be God. And we've all been duped and believing the biggest lie ever told. So again, he's either the great, Jesus was either the greatest con artist of all time or he was who he said he was. Like he was the son of God that came to take away the sins of the world and then rose from the dead, which leads me to say everything in Christianity hinges on the truthfulness of the resurrection. Again, not many people deny Jesus's existence based off of just good reason and logic. Like it's a historical fact that he walked this earth and the Bible says he rose from the dead. But what other evidence do we have? And so I want you to keep following me here for about five minutes on why the resurrection is true. 
This will come based, again, on other reasons outside of the Bible to help us trust that we do, in fact, have a firm foundation in what we believe. And there are are several things we could mention here, but I'll just mention a few. And so let's just assume that you're not convinced that Jesus is God based on his miracles alone. Uh, And you don't believe Jesus turned water to wine, healed the sick, told the lame to walk, fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch, and brought a dead man back to life by simply saying, get up, walk out of your tomb. Which I do want to just say as a side note, Jesus doing these things and people seeing him do them compelled half of the city to want to crown him as king. Because hundreds and thousands of years before this, it was predicted all those things would happen. And then guess what? It happened. Jesus did them. And they're like, is this guy, is it, this is the guy that God told us would come. And he's, he, here, here he is doing the things that he said he would do. And so let's just assume those aren't compelling enough. And maybe you're like Jesus's critics that believe he was a great magician, believing he was doing witchcraft or was possessed by demons to do his miracles. Or you just think it's all made up in a fairy tale, which his opponents at the time wrote about him because they saw him do these things and were trying to explain it and their assumption was that he was doing witchcraft and demons or magic some others thought that he was a prophet and a religious man but not god so then we have to ask what do we do about the resurrection like if he was a good magician or just a prophet what do we do with the claim that he rose from the dead like no other prophet has ever done what jesus did Like the Roman soldiers, they killed him. He was confirmed dead. Everybody in the city saw him to be crucified. And the response is often, well, maybe the body was stolen. But then we have to ask, well, who was the guy that everybody believed with Jesus after his death? Like who was that guy his disciples and family and 500 other people talked to uh, that claimed to be Jesus after his death? And there were several responses to this, and most of them say something around the idea of, well, maybe he didn't really die, which again is kind of funny because every good historian knows he died. And the other thought is, well, maybe Jesus had a twin that showed up later that his mother didn't know about. Maybe everybody else was, or maybe everybody else was hallucinating, all of them, for 40 days straight. And then, oh yeah, by the way, all those who saw him during those 40 days while he was on earth after his resurrection, they spent the next several decades devoted to this man and most died for it. You know, there are all sorts of crazy rationales for this, and all, and, and all of them are kind of silly, honestly. And when people try to make good arguments against the resurrection, logic and reason often start to really fly out the window. Because he was confirmed dead by many, and then he was also confirmed alive by many. And then we have to ask the question, how in the world does nobody on this earth know where Jesus' body is? I mean, the most influential religious man in in history, and nobody can pinpoint his grave. I mean, every other major religious figure, we know where all of their graves are. We know where Muhammad's grave is, Buddha's grave, Dalai Lama's grave, Peter's grave, Billy Graham's grave. I mean, we could go on and on, but yet not Jesus. We don't know where his grave is. We don't know where the grave is of the man who claimed to be the son of God. And why can nobody find his grave? Because he doesn't have one. Because he rose from the dead. Yeah, absolutely. We could go on and on about this. Y'all, when we start to look at the proof and the evidence of the resurrection and try to say it didn't happen, it's about like me saying I don't snore when I have multiple videos of me snoring like a demon-possessed pig. But the point is, y'all, our faith is very logical and rational. We can have so much confidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And then when you start to look at Jesus' teachings and how he interprets life and the world, it just all makes sense. But for me personally, 
And I think the, this would be the case for most of our church. The reason I can say the resurrection is true with so much confidence is because it has literally changed my own life. Like I personally and experientially know confidently that it's true. Because I was once living my life as a confused teenager, chasing everything the world could offer, and none of it satisfied me for very long. And it all left me empty in the end. But when I finally realized that God wanted to know me and be with me and was pursuing me, God changed my life. Like, this is not some far-off academic historical thing. No, I know and have experienced personally that God is living and active. Because here's the part of the story that we haven't mentioned When Jesus rose from the dead, yes, the tomb was empty, and yes, he appeared to over 500 people, and they were willing to lose their their life for following him. But do you know what happened next? Jesus then put his spirit inside of people to allow them to also see and believe. Y'all, this is the miracle of Christianity. This is the greatness of the resurrection. This leads us to our last point, number three, the implications of the resurrection. Because get this, when a person believes that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross and rose from the dead, paying for the penalty for our sins, this is the incredible part. God then enters into that person's life and both instantly and also slowly over a lifetime begins to change them. The miracle of the resurrection is that God is alive and active still today, that he is living among us and in us, and the Spirit of God has been radically changing lives for over 2,000 years. You see, this is my opinion, and we can certainly debate this, but in my opinion, one of the best testimonies that Jesus is alive and active and that he rose from the dead is the testimony of a transformed life. It's the testimony of a life like Mary Magdalene, who was tangled up in sin. The Bible says she had seven demons, and then she meets Jesus. Jesus changes her life, and here she is at the resurrection as his first witness, being the first catalyst of the movement of Christianity that spread all over the world. Mary Magdalene believed in Jesus and Jesus changed her life because that's just what God does. Again, I can't help but look at my own life and the lives of so many in our church and the lives of millions of others that have been radically changed by Jesus and then to say, no, it's not real. Like, no, that would not make sense. Like there's something in the sauce that works. Like it's radically changing lives around the world and filling people with peace and joy and full life and hope because of the resurrection that tells us that Jesus is alive. And we can say that the secret sauce is Jesus. It's the Spirit of God moving. Jesus is alive. Like I've seen God do way too many things in my own life to say that God, that the God of the Bible is not real. Like I've seen marriages restored, addictions overcome, the greedy become generous, the prideful become humble, the directionless filled with purpose, the fearful filled with peace. I've seen convicts become church planters. And then when I open my Bible and read and pray and meditate on the scriptures personally and I'm put at peace and find help and direction for moments and days, I can't help but believe that Jesus is alive. There is a sweetness that is found in following Jesus that pure logic cannot attest to. Yes, we have a logical and a rational faith, but we also have a living faith that helps us right now in every moment of our life. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Is there always peace at all times? No. Are we all going to get BMWs and pay raises and new houses? No, that's just silly. Are there many hard moments? Yes, we live in a fallen world, but Jesus didn't promise to make our life better. No, he promises to be our our anchor in the turbulence of this life. 
New City Church, may we be reminded today of the simplicity of our faith by the reality of the resurrection. And what I want to make really, really clear today is what does not make us Christians. Okay, coming to church, growing up in church, celebrating Christmas and Easter, being baptized, praying, doing all of the Christian things. Listen, those things do not make us Christians. This is so important. You've got, we've got to get this today. The only thing that makes us a Christian is believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and then he rose from the dead. That's it. And when we believe, the Holy Spirit then comes into our life and we start following Jesus. Like belief in Jesus is the only thing that makes us Christians and nothing else. Like if you have never heard that before, that the only thing that makes you a Christian is believing in Jesus and nothing else, I want to invite you today to believe and place your faith in Jesus today on Easter Sunday 2022. Because when you believe in Jesus, when you trust that the resurrection is true, that your sins are paid for by the cross, let me tell you what you gain. You gain access to God. And we can have a relationship with God. Like we can know God. And guess what happens? Our old life, it's gone. It's dead. And we're totally, 100% forgiven. Every single one of our sins, they're gone. And guess what happens? We gain new life in Jesus. A totally new identity with Jesus. We're no longer considered rebels. We're considered redeemed. We're no longer considered orphans. No, we're considered children of God. And we're adopted into God's forever family. And we accept Jesus and follow him. The spirit of God enters into our life and God makes our hearts his home. And says to us, I know you have a past. But because of the cross, the past is gone. You're now my child. You are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And I also want to say, if you came in today in despair or in confusion or with sadness or anger, maybe, I can say that if you are in Christ because of the resurrection, I can say to you, fear not that God is with you. And he will not abandon you. Jesus is your helper. He is your wonderful counselor. He looks at you and says, you are my child whom I love. I will be with you every step of the way. New City, that's the hope of the resurrection. Like it's that easy. It's that sweet. It's that good. But yet it leads us to say it's either true or it's not. And if it's not true, then none of what we just said is true. But if it is true, as we've said, it changes everything. And so in many ways, it forces us to make a choice. We either believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, making us children of God, or we reject it altogether. Like it's either true or it's not. And if the resurrection is true, there is no middle ground. He's either king of our life or he's not. Either the spirit of God is in your heart or it's not. Will it be perfect? No, not at all. It's going to be a lifelong journey. But if the Spirit of God is in your life, the Spirit of God will change you because that's what God does. And so I want to end with this. I want to actually go ahead and invite the entire band back up at this time. Because in just a minute, you know, we're going to baptize a bunch of people. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, praise the Lord. 
And this simply means, and what this simply means is that these people have said that they have trusted in Jesus. They believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, and they're wanting to tell the world that their old life is gone and that their new life is here. They're a new creation. And listen, baptism It's nothing more than a symbol. Baptism does not save anybody. There's nothing special about this water. It's just a picture of the gospel. And then when they get into the water, we're going to ask them two questions. Do you believe Jesus has done everything necessary to save you? And then will you go wherever he asks you to go and do wherever he asks you to do? And then hopefully they're going to say yes to both of those questions. And then we're going to dip them all the way down into the water, symbolizing that the old life is gone. (laughs) They've been buried with Christ, just like Jesus was buried in the grave. And then we're going to raise them up out of the water, uh, where they're symbolizing they have been raised with Christ, just like Jesus was raised out of the grave. Again, baptism, it is a visible picture of the gospel. It's a visible picture of the power of God working in someone's life. And because of it, y'all, we celebrate and we sing and we shout and we worship. And just one last thing I want to say. If you're here today and you have believed in Jesus and you have not been baptized, let today be the day to proclaim to the world what God has done in your heart. Maybe today you walked in thinking you were a Christian because you attended church from time to time or because you say prayers or because you grew up going to church and celebrate Christmas every year. But just maybe today you realize that the only thing that makes you a Christian is believing in Jesus. It's believing in the cross and the resurrection. And you realize it's belief alone and nothing else. And you can now say, yes, I believe. I have trusted Jesus today. And if that's you, I want to invite you also to come and be baptized today. To tell the world what God has done in your heart. Or maybe, uh, maybe you were baptized as a kid, but when you look back on that, you realize, oh wait, I didn't actually believe. Or really, uh, or you didn't even understand the gospel like we talked about today. But today or recently, you understood it. And you can say, now I truly get it. I truly believe. And if that's you, I want to invite you also to be baptized because we first believe. The order is first belief and then we're baptized. Belief comes before baptism. Just as we see in Acts 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch, he was taught the scriptures, he understood the gospel, he sees water and says, what prevents me from being baptized? And they stopped the cart right there on the spot and he was baptized. And today I wanna ask you the same question, what prevents you today from being baptized? If you think I don't have clothes, well guess what, we've got clothes for you. (laughs) If you think my parents aren't here, well guess what, we've got it on YouTube, they can watch the whole thing online later. If you think my friends might think I'm kind of weird, well, guess up. Guess what? We've got new friends for you. I've got a pretty good hunch. That they, yeah, I've got a pretty good hunch, though, that they'd be super excited for you. And please hear me on this. This is not me wanting to pressure you. This is me wanting to give you an opportunity to respond outwardly what God is doing inside of your heart right now. Listen, we're not into high-pressure tactics here. We just want to walk alongside of you. The scriptures simply say, believe and then be baptized like it's a command. God says, do it. And so we do it. That's it. It doesn't say be a perfect Christian, have your life together and then get baptized. It simply says, believe and be baptized. The only requirement is belief in Jesus. And so let me simply ask, do you believe in Jesus? And if you can say, yes, I want to invite you to come and get into the waters and respond in faith today. And we will have, listen, we have counselors outside During the next few songs, they would love to talk to you about this. 
New City Church, today is the day of salvation. Believe in Jesus and get into the waters and be baptized. Why? Because the resurrection is true and Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Yeah, amen. Amen. God, you are alive and active. I, I believe that you are working among us. Father, I'm, I'm praying that if there's anybody in this room that today has professed faith in Jesus, I'm praying that you would grant them courage to overcome the fear of getting into the waters. God, would you, would you grant faith today? Would we visibly see and celebrate just the power of God working among us? God, we love you. We're so thankful for the cross and for the resurrection. God, you are alive and active. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.